Hello and welcome to the Bull's Eye Podcast by Aldebaran Financial, your personal financial guides. My name is Peter Raber and I will be your guide today. Today is August the 8th and as we creep into the fall, had a, a busy week. Um, creeping into the fall also means the start of school. So my son and the rest of Kingsport City Schools started on Monday, so that's been a uh, fun adjustment back. Everybody's got their schedules realigning, uh, getting up a little bit earlier, dealing with some, some crankiness, although not not as bad out of um, our household as maybe somebody else in, in the area might be experiencing. So we've been lucky with that. It's been a interesting week since we talked last. Um, I don't know. I always find things interesting that other people don't. So but this this time around, I think we we do have a few things that are out of the normal. Um, we had a pool party for a friend's daughter who was turning six, and uh, we went over to their house. and Their neighbors have a pool, so uh, we got to play over there. That was nice. Had to jump in and save one of the. Um, twins Ben decided it would be a great idea to jump into the pool without his puddle jumper on we had taken that off so that he could eat um, with everybody and he was like no I'm gonna go over here so literally in the two seconds it took to put the puddle jumper down after taking it off him he jumped in so I jumped in and had to pull him out that was was fun Um, we went through a good discussion of how um, you don't always come back up if you don't have your safety uh, measures on and I think that's something that you can probably extrapolate and talk about with uh, how that applies to life. Um, On Sunday we were going to go over to the baseball field and we'd gotten the boys helmets and bats and we were going to go over and and hit a little bit and get ready for baseball season, which is starting up. We, we have fall ball starting soon. And the car didn't sound right when it started. We had had a little bit of trouble, so I took it over to Advanced Auto, and the alternator was going out, and the battery was bad. So had a decision of how do we deal with that. We ended up just putting in a new battery, got through the weekend, and I got that taken care of on Monday. Big thank you to... Uh, Rob Murphy over at Murphy Automotive, he always takes care of me when uh, my car has problems. I'm one of those people who has no knowledge about cars, and and I really trust those guys. Um, So they always take care of me. Um, But, you know, same type thing. You're you're looking at um, making sure you're doing the right maintenance and on your car and taking care of things. But, you know, even if you do all of that, you can have problems like this. And, and recharging your battery both in life and in a car are, are extremely important uh, and then on Monday night we had baseball evaluations which are absolutely fascinating if you've never come to a baseball tryout for Little League it's it's something to see the way our league does it is every kid gets I don't know five to seven pitches to swing at and on their last one they run all the way to third so first second third and that's all you get to go on on, on how good of hitters these guys are um, and girls. There was a girl who tried out who did did really well. And then fielding, you get two ground balls and or a ground ball and a pop-up. Their son was behind uh, 
you know, in their eyes. It was behind home plate, and they were out at short. So we did mostly ground balls for them, and then they threw them to first. So that's all you have to evaluate um, on. And making an evaluation without a lot of knowledge is really hard. And when you think about that in terms of what we do here as financial advisors and investment advisors, it's such a, a easy parallel to draw. And when you think about it, you know, if I don't know your financial situation or if I don't know your risk tolerance or if I don't know your family situation, I might evaluate you one way or I might evaluate you another. And then when you go in and you do the process of in baseball drafting these teams or in investing, picking your allocation, you could make huge mistakes. And so it really... I think points out the importance of having the right information and having enough information. So I think we got a good team this year. I've got a bunch of uh, my son's friends are together, so that's good. So they'll have a lot of fun. I think we've got enough talent to win some games. Um, hopefully we, we have enough pitching that we'll be able to um, not be in – in walk fests for the year, but I think we'll we'll do all right there. Uh, you know, if we don't, we'll develop it along the way, and uh, hopefully, some of these kids will jump in with two feet and be like, "Yeah, I want to do that," and we'll just teach them how to do it. Um, so that was my week, and then uh, we can take a look at what happened in the stock market. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. So my week was interesting for its own reasons, but the stock market had a really interesting week. So after we talked on the first, the market opened, gapped down on Thursday, and has pretty much been straight up since. So we had an update Thursday, we had an update Friday, update on Monday the 5th. We gapped higher and opened up nicely on the seventh and then we we've tried drifted off since the opening yesterday and we're drifting off a little bit today there was some thought that we might get back up to the all-time highs in the S&P 500 we would need to get up into the 2872 range and we're up at 2856 so not quite uh, there yet but we're, we're doing all right if you were to look at the treasuries and what we've seen those do They've bounced back and forth in a, in a range, so um, we're pretty much exactly where we opened up last Thursday, so we're at 3.12. We had dripped down, or dipped down rather, to 306, 307 range. Um, so we still have higher than 3% interest rates. Jamie Dimon was actually out talking, uh, the CEO for JP Morgan, and uh, he feels that rates should be much higher and to maybe not be caught unaware if we see them go higher. 
the Treasury had its meeting and held off on, or the Federal Reserve had its meeting and held off on raising Treasury rates, but there's still the expectation of roughly two more raises this year. Uh, other big news, we had unemployment dip underneath 4%. We got to 39 We saw Apple become the first trillion-dollar company, and uh, that's... You know, just from a metrics standpoint, if you were to look at that and, and the psychological ramifications of it, I mean, that's that's pretty huge. Um, it's been on pretty much a straight rise high, and they had decent earnings. So um, on the second, we jumped, you know, a decent bit from 200 to 206 and then we've been up in the 208 209 range we've drifted off a little bit since but apple became the first trillion dollar company we saw tesla miss earnings and with a larger than expected loss but with the expectation of becoming profitable by the end of the year and if that wasn't enough out of them you had elon musk their leader tweet out that he was thinking about taking the stock private at 420 dollars which would be a pretty significant raise from where we're at now. We're in the 370 range, but he had mentioned having already secured funding. So if it does see that type move, um, we saw a lot of short sellers get washed out. A huge boost yesterday on on what it did. Um, But, you know, we we were as low as 339 yesterday and and as high as 387. Uh, So interesting to keep following them um if we were to look at other big stock market news you've got amazon announcing that they would do pickup similar to walmart through their whole foods division so where you can do your online ordering and pick it up curbside and you had facebook talking about going into the banking sector a little bit and maybe allowing people through their profiles to do various banking and they've talked to a number of the big banks about the various options that they would have there so those were kind of some of the big interesting stories from the week Um, a lot of tech names continue to be the um, driving factors and where we see growth but yogurt what is this place what is it that you do here merchandising merchandising what's that merchandising come i'll show you Open up this door. <laughs> Come, walk this way. Take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising. Where the real money from the movie is made. Spaceballs the t-shirt. Spaceballs the coloring book. Spaceballs the lunchbox. Spaceballs the breakfast cereal. Spaceballs the flamethrower. The kids love this one. Last but not least, Spaceballs the doll. Me. May the Schwartz be with you. Adorable. So this week, instead of a tip per se on how things uh, maybe are best set up in your own personal portfolio, I thought it'd be interesting to just do a tidbit of knowledge and one of the questions that we get a lot is what's the difference between the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500? Because those are normally the two things that flash up on your news channels. Hey, the Dow did this, the S&P did that. Um, and, but there's not 
a whole lot of clarity for most people who aren't involved in this world on what the difference is. Dow Jones, it's the oldest, it's the best known stock index. It was started back in 1896 and it has 30 North American blue chip stocks. And those are selected by um, the editors of the Wall Street Journal, whose parent company is the Dow Jones um, Company. And despite it saying industrial in there, it's the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, it's from all the major sectors. And it has household names from Johnson Johnson, Coca-Cola, McDonald's. It has a lot of different things that are in there. And there's a little bit of vagueness on how you get into the Dow Jones. But in general, the companies are leaders in their industry and they're very large. The components don't change often. Um, and so it you normally see changes when there's structural changes in our economy and so that's what's within the Dow Jones then if you look at the S&P S&P stands for Standard & Poor's it was started in 1957 and it has 500 large publicly traded American stocks and they're from all the sectors of the economy and they're selected by a committee at S&P which is owned by McGraw-Hill and the stocks must have a market capitalization of $5.3 billion or more. Um, so that's a huge you know, amount of market cap. Market cap is simply number of shares that are out there times the current stock price. They have to have a public float of 50% and positive earnings for the most recent four quarters when they go in. That doesn't have to stay true. But to get in, you have to have positive earnings for the last four quarters and adequate liquidity, and they've got some other criteria. The big difference within the S&P versus the Dow Jones is how they price their index. The Dow Jones is what's known as price-weighted. That means the sum of all the stock prices are divided by specific divisor. So rather than using a simple average and dividing the number of stocks in, into the average, a Dow divisor is used. The divisor attempts to smooth out the effect of stock splits and dividends. And so the Dow Jones is affected only by changes in stock prices. So companies with a high share price have a higher impact on the Dow Jones. So sometimes we'll see Dow um, components have big news days and it will affect the overall average more so than you'd see maybe the S&P move because it, it weights it differently. The current you know, way of, of looking at the uh, S&P and how it's different is that the S&P is what's known as they're weighted by their market value rather than their stock price. So in that way, an S&P return tries to ensure that 10% change in a $20 stock would have the same effect as a 10% change in a $50 stock or a $500 stock. So it's market weighted. And that creates huge differences sometimes, especially when there's big moves in specific Dow Jones stocks. And 
that's why there's a difference. But in the end, they're both just ways of measuring the overall health of the stock market, either look through looking at 500 American stocks or 30 American stocks. They both are a good gauge for what the overall stock market is doing. Um, there's obviously with a, a 500 stock index, there's a wider range of sectors represented there. So a lot of people, especially in the industry, will follow the S&P 500. The Russell 1000 is another way of, of looking at it. It's very similar to the S&P 500 um, in that fact of how many it has. Uh, it tries to value um, the largest companies, so the thousand largest um, companies. That's done by a market capitalization weighted index, so the largest companies um, constitute the largest percentages. And they affect the percentage more, or the performance more than the smaller index members. But they're all just ways of seeing what the overall stock market is doing. The NASDAQ's the other popular index. They're more tech-weighted to get on in there. Um, but that's kind of what we were would fall um, to see how the stock market's done in any given day. You're right, Will. I can't do this, bro. But you can, and when it comes to that, it's only about it's just a handful of people in the world who can tell the difference between you and me. But I'm one of them. Sorry. Yeah, so am I. Most days I wish I never met you. It was then I could sleep at night. I didn't, I didn't have to walk around with the knowledge that there was someone like you out there. So thinking more things that might directly affect you, the client situation that I wanted to talk about this week that we saw was on Monday I was working with a family and they were talking about having to take money out of a work 401k to deal with some unexpected life circumstances. So without going into those, it's a valid reason they, they need the money to help make it through this rough patch. And we were talking about the ways to get money out of a 401k. And the first thing that I would tell anybody is you need to talk to the plan administrator, which is normally someone within human resources or the benefits department. You can normally call the phone number that's on the, the plan statement, but they're going to have the details on... Um, what is allowable for getting money out of a 401k. And normally on a 401k, you can't take a withdrawal until your employment ends unless it allows for one of two things, either a loan or a hardship withdrawal. And in terms of a loan, and not every 401k does this, but basically what you're doing is you're taking your own money out and then through payroll deduction, paying yourself back at a certain interest rate which can sound attractive and we talked last week about the 60-day rule this is not that this is a 401k loan it has a defined term of when the money would get paid back 
there's some issues there. One is if you stop working for the company, the amount that you have not paid back into your 401k on that loan becomes immediately due. And if it isn't paid back, then you have to pay taxes on it as if you had taken it as a distribution. If you're under 59 and a half, you then also have to pay a 10% penalty on it. So for example, if you took a $20,000 loan out of your 401k and over the course of years, you had been paying it back on payroll withdrawals and maybe there was a balance on the loan of $8,000, you would have to pay $800 in tax penalties when you do your taxes. Plus you would take that $8,000 and it would become taxable income in the year in which your employment ended. So that's gotta be you know a pretty harsh thing. The other way you can take um, money out is through a hardship withdrawal. And if you can take a hardship withdrawal, it's going to be for one of basically six reasons. Unexpected medical expenses. You can normally take it out for costs related to the purchase of a home, tuition related expenses and educational fees, uh, payments necessary to prevent eviction or foreclosure on your home, burial and funeral expenses, and expenses for the repair of damage to your home in a catastrophic event. So like if a tornado came through and ripped your roof off or something of that ilk. So if you're allowed to take it out, you will pay still taxes on the amount that you take out for the form of the hardship withdrawal. There are some exceptions to that 10% penalty if you have to take the 10% penalty because under 59 half, if you're disabled, if your medical exemptions or medical debt exceeds 7.5%, um, it used to be 7.5%, 10% of your adjusted gross income, or you're required by a court order to give the money to a divorced spouse. Um, and if you don't qualify for an exemption for the penalty, then you need to plan on paying roughly um, 30% in, so a 20% tax bracket requirement a 10% penalty. Um, so it's, it's really important to have that emergency fund, that six months worth of emergency spending so you avoid getting into one of these situations. Um, a lot of times with 401k hardship withdrawals, you're also required to prove that you qualify for a hardship so that the plan administrator can determine if they feel like your circumstances qualify under the rules of the 401k plan. Sometimes 401k plans even require documentation. Um, so it's, it's a hard thing to do. Um, and it's important that you go through the process beforehand. In our client's situation, they actually already had taken a loan previously that they're in the process of paying back. And then because of some issues within the family, um, they would qualify for a hardship, but there's no way for me to tell them without them going to the plan administrator. Yes, we allow for hardship withdrawals on top of already having a loan, um, but it's it's definitely something that you need to be working with the plan administrator of the 401k because there can be massive tax ramifications. 
The other thing to consider, and we've had this happen in our business as well, is if you take a 401k loan, and typically you pay those back over five years and the interest you pay on that goes back into your account. And if you do that, you're not paying taxes on any of the amount you borrowed. But if the business that you're working for shuts down that plan, even if you still work there, that loan becomes due. Or if that business is purchased by another business and they shut down their 401k because they're going to roll everything into the new 401k at the purchasing company, that money's due, whether you have it to pay back or not. And that's something to always keep in mind that it's not a guaranteed this is easy hey i've got access to this money and it's designed on purpose that way because 401ks and retirement plans are designed to allow you to grow funds tax-free so that you can have a retirement income that is closer to what you were experiencing during your lifetime i wish none of this had happened so do all live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All right, we're continuing our adventure into The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. And in Chapter 5, he talks about the investment merits of common stocks. And... There's a number of arguments laid out in how to pick common stocks, but they always come back to the fact that common stocks needed to offer a considerable degree of protection against the erosion of the investment dollar caused by inflation. So we talked about that previously, that stocks provide better protection than inflation, and that common stocks have a higher average return to investors over the years. So you get your capital appreciation plus any potential dividend you know, that are paid out. And assuming that it's passed both those tests, and yes, we want to have a component that's in stocks, he had an interesting way of constructing the stock portion of a portfolio and he had four rules that he thought you should follow there should be adequate but not excessive diversification and so he thought that would mean a minimum of 10 different issues and a maximum of 30 every stock that so that was rule one minimum of 10 maximum of 30 stocks every company selected should be large prominent and conservatively financed and that goes very heavily into the value side of the investing and knowing what you're buying but he wanted to buy good companies very limited on speculation for the common stock component um, he would argue his rule three is that they have a long record of continuous dividend payouts and they talked about that maybe even being 20 years of dividend payouts. I don't know that that rule really applies anymore, especially in a day and age where we can see something like um, Netflix, which could have been bought by Blockbuster for $50 million at one point, 
being the survivor between the two, but they clearly don't have a 20-year history, and they definitely don't have a 20-year history of paying out a dividend. Um, and that an investor, rule four was investor should impose some limit on the price he will pay for an issue in relation to its average earnings over the last seven years. They suggest setting that at 25 times such average earnings and not more than 20 times those of the last year. So 25 times the earnings in the last seven, but no more than 20 in the last year. Um, and a lot of times that restriction actually eliminates the strongest and most com popular companies from a portfolio, and it almost always eliminates growth stocks. And as a value investor, he didn't see nearly the amount of value in growth just because of the volatility that was involved and the number of times that you can make the wrong choice. But that would eliminate the market leaders of today, especially things like Apple, Google, Netflix, Facebook, uh, Amazon. All of those would not be able to be in this type of portfolio. So it's definitely one way of looking at it. And it's much more on the value side. Um, the interesting way that he phrases it is that um, growth stocks as a whole are too uncertain and risky a vehicle for a defensive investor, which he would argue you should be. Um, and But he says, of course, wonders can be accomplished with the right individual selections bought at the right levels and later sold at a huge rise before the probable decline and that the average inspector investor can no more expect to accomplish this than to find money growing on trees. So he thinks the ability to pick a growth stock that actually does well is incredibly hard. And I'd say that that is, is true to a certain extent, but it's definitely something that we can't rule out completely in a portfolio. But it was a different day and age when he wrote this book, and I think that's a, a good illustration of it. Um, the rest of the chapter talks about a number of things talking about dollar cost averaging and we will talk about that in a different section um but one of the things that they had talked about in those rules you know if we go back and look at them they'll it should be a conservatively financed company and he does have a rule on a conservative finance it says an industrial company's finance are not conservative unless the common stock at book value which is the value of, of the um, stock for what it represents um, at least half of the total capitalization, including all bank debt. Although for railroads and public utilities, the figure should be at least 30%. Um, the other things they talk about large and prominent. A prominent company should rank among the first quarter or first third in size within its industry group. So he's talking about large cap companies. So when we were talking about the Dow Jones and the S&P and the Russell 1000 earlier, that's where these companies are going to be found. You're not going to find mid and small cap companies within this type investment model. So it's a shorter chapter, but some of the 
the rules themselves are things that are followed by a large number of investors and I think they're worth putting out and, and looking at as a component in how we pick out stocks. It reads, the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria. Speak, friend, and enter. What do you suppose that means? Oh, it's quite simple. If you are a friend, you speak the password and the doors will open. Anything that I've said today, please discuss it with your own financial and legal professionals. It is purely meant for educational purposes. Um, I hope you found some value in it. And if anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can email us at aldebron at aldebronfinancial.com. And you can get in touch with us um, through our website, which is aldebronfinancial.com. Love to hear from you, and until next week. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas.